Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Hello, everyone. I hope you all had a safe and happy festive and new year period. Just before we start, the Investor Download is moving to a release schedule of every other week from now on, which gives us more time to work on more video content, more of which we'll be sharing with you at a later date. In the meantime, for the first podcast of the year, I'm speaking with Casper Berry. He's an entrepreneur, a speaker, and a former poker player. I thought, given all the uncertainties investors are facing in 2024, from elections to geopolitical conflicts, interest rates, inflation, and everything in between, it would be good to leverage Casper's experiences as a former poker player and discuss risk-taking in the current investment climate. When's best to hold, fold, or not play at all? He's an entertaining guest, and I hope you enjoy. Casper, uh, a very warm welcome to the show. Good to see you on the screen you. anyway. Um, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Now, from your profile, it seems like you've done many things. Actor, producer, poker player, commentator, speaker. Have I missed anything out? No, most of those were a long time ago. It should be said, speaker for the last 20 years or so. But um, oh, TV commercials director. Um yeah, and 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 sort of uh, film, uh, short film, television director, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, uh, and just from a, a UK, we got a lot of UK listeners, and some of them might be of an age where they remember a, a program called Biker Grove. Apparently, you were in that. Is that true? They're really old. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I go back thirty-four years now to the first two series uh, with Deck, but before Ant. Oh I'm dear, and that original. Yeah, he didn't come until series two. Now, before they became a partnership, truly, it was. It was. That's right. I, that was some hard-hitting stuff as well, as I remember from Biker Grove. They tackle some uh, strong storylines. About the blindness, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, in our in our uh, 89, 90, it was really hard-hitting. And then they they went down a couple of years. So a lot of Biker Grove is quite sort of kiddie. But it, when it started, its intention was to be a sort of challenger for Grand Chill, but the BBC wanted it to be a little bit younger than Grand Chill eventually. Okay. Okay. So for anyone that doesn't uh, remember it or haven't seen it, but, uh, by all means, Google it. You could probably find it on the uh, interweb somewhere. It's on the YouTubes. Ah, it's on the YouTubes. Excellent. Check it out. It was very good. Okay, but we're not here to talk about that. Unfortunately, uh, we are here to talk, well, mainly based around your poker playing days, but certainly uh, relationship with some of the stuff that you went through in poker playing days to what it might be to investors. So investors got this long year to look ahead um, and there's plenty of risks out there, as we saw from last year as well. Um, I just want to start with the first question. Um, how do you know when to take risks? Oh, okay, well, I'm going to answer that two two ways actually, because I think there's a, there's a there's a, a more interesting answer in a way to like why should we take risks generally, right? And the answer to that question is when you want increased returns, right? Um, like because I'm a speaker talking about taking risk, I think some people sometimes interpret what I'm saying as you should always take risk, right? And and that's not true at all, of course. Um, so, like, for example, I've had um, a number of people say to me over the years, you know, you're telling us to take risks, but you've been a speaker now for 20 years. Now, there's two things to say. Yes, but that's because I did take risk every two years, did those things, other things that you said, screenwriter, director, actor, etc., entrepreneur, um, until I found this thing that I love, right? And I'm very happy uh, in this situation. 
and um, love love my job. And so why would I want to disrupt that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want increased returns by all the intangibles that we we judge our job. Now, I'm always, you know, I'm always trying new things. I take a risk every time I go onto a stage, believe me, you know, because I can die. Um, <laughs> But but that's the reason why we take risk. And if you're not happy, if you if you if you are completely happy, then you don't need to take risk unless you go. Well, uh, that life would be boring. And go, yeah, cool, life would be boring. So we always need to mix it up a little bit. So we always need to take some risk. Where I think companies are interesting, right? There's that great documentary, isn't it, the corporation that says that a company in law is a psychopath, right? Because because it has a you know duty to shareholder to keep maximizing returns so technically a company should never be happy right a company should never be content so a company actually should always be taking risks which is why i think you know they're like athletes as speakers because they're also always driving for more you know as an athlete you never even if you just won the gold you know you've got to get better than the next olympics because everyone else is so that's the first thing why people take risks and the second thing about poker you talk about sticking and twisting obviously that's that's blackjack is the first thing to say but i mean (laughs) Um, in poker, you should be playing if you think that that game has an opportunity uh, to take risk. That is what we call expectation positive, right? And that's where we come back to the calculation that I showed in the presentation I showed, which many people watching this will be second nature to, but some it won't be. It's the calculation at the origin of the phrase, the calculated risk. And, and, and basically in poker, you should carry on playing or you should take a risk with this hand um, if you believe that that the opportunity, as calculated for risk with upsides, downsides, and probabilities, is expectation positive, and and that's when we should be taking risk in life. That's not always the case because it might be that the upside or the increased expectation is not worth the potential downside. In other words, you don't want that enough, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about there's lots of risk coming out for the uh, coming uh, year ahead. Uh, and, you know, investors, probably poker players as well, when the going's good, they're notoriously greedy. When the going's bad, they're notoriously fearful. How do you know when enough is enough? Like when things are going well, how do you know enough's enough and to, you know, take your profits or when you're when things are going badly to cut your losses? So you might have um, a cultural reason for that. Like you might have had a, a, a target given to you by, you know, a, a boss or your team or what have you, um, in which case you stop for that reason. It's important not to come. It's not important not to confuse two things, right? Because sometimes people talk about stop loss limits with respect to gambling, right? By which I mean roulette, blackjack, the gambling games in a casino where you pretty much always have a negative expectation. And uh, it's part of a longer point, but but the longer point is that it's all bunkum, right? That 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 it doesn't matter when you stop playing roulette. It doesn't matter when you. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're $200 down or $400 up or whatever. If you carry on playing roulette, it's still all one session. The the, the wheel is going to take 2.7% or 5.4% of every dollar you put down, right? So there's no – so, again, it comes back to culturally, when do you feel like this roulette session is now no longer enjoyable, like you've lost too much money and you should go to bed, okay? So, so that's when you should stop playing roulette. When you should stop playing poker, again, could be cultural. As I said in the session, like you might have just had enough, right? You might want to go and have dinner with someone. Um, there might also be lots of different things that make it now a negative expectation for you personally because you're making bad decisions. What might cause that? You've lost too much money. You're hurting. You're emotionally affected. Uh, you're tired. Um, you don't want to play with these particular people because one of them sends you on tilt. You don't like them. All sorts of things like that. But technically, if all of that is put to one side in poker, you should carry on playing as long as you have a positive expectation. And you might be 
50 big blinds down, right? You might be a lot of money down. If you know that these four players are bad players and they're donating to the game, you should absolutely carry on sitting there and playing as long as, again, you're not, you're not tired or emotionally affected or, you know, what have you. And that's something that, that, so if I can try and sum that up, it's important not to take ideas which are already wrong for gambling, right? Stop block, knowing when to stop, right? If you, if you want to make money in gambling, don't gamble right because you're not going to you might aberrationally in the short term but in the long term it doesn't matter when you start and stop you have a negative expectation every time you play roulette so don't take those bad ideas and apply them to positive expectation situations because it's the expectation that dictates whether you should carry on playing not how long you've been doing it or how much you're up or down at the time so if you really it's relate that to investment you know if you truly believe if you've done your homework and you truly believe that company is a good company do you think you should keep investing in in them you see, again, I'm going to come back to the cultural problems, right? So, so um, uh, one of the things that Kahneman and Tversky won their Nobel Prize for um, in the early 2000s, I think, uh, was the S-shaped utility curve. Now, the S-shaped utility, utility curve is really interesting for a lot of trading rooms, right? It explains human nature in a lot of situations. And in fact, in some ways, it's actually interestingly different to what you said earlier on, which is when people get greedy and fearful. Because in a lot of trading rooms, people will bank a profit right because they want to see lots of green numbers and but they'll hold on to losses red numbers because all they want is for them to become green right the s-shaped utility curve explains that because once we've got our green profit more green profit which might emanate from a positive expectation is not going to make us feel that much better because it's a green number and more red loss that might emanate from holding on to a negative expectation doesn't really affect us because it's it's still a red number right and so we actually become greedy and fearful in the opposite direction there um because we just want to we just want to bank wins that's like that's like leaving a poker room when you're up okay because you want to be able to put a green tick on that day of the calendar but it's but it's mental because you're not you're not maximizing expectation so theoretically it's as pure as that but i'm not trying to override whatever very sensible cultural what's the word sort of buffers that a trading room or an organization or a team or a boss may bring into that for two reasons a because the, the culture is king right and certainly what your boss is is king and secondly because some of those cultures are built up to try and prevent other mistakes um you know the taking of um risk when the expectation is low because someone feels bulletproof because they've had a lot of wins in the past right and 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 their part of the theory is to stop you know when you're ahead and good there's a brilliant book called the hour between dog and wolf by dr john coates which talks about um testosterone in this process that testosterone is both a reward for and um an instigator of risk taking and can precipitate uh what may start off as virtuous but become vicious circles uh, because because uh, gains turn into inappropriate risk. And cultures have instigated buffers to prevent that, and I'm not trying to override those at all. But the theory is pretty clear that, that when the expectation is positive, we should be taking that risk. But, but in practice, there are all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't do that, and they're fine. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to The Investor Download. So with everything that's going on, I mean, 
how do investors in particular overcome? You've mentioned quite a lot of psychological biases there. How do they overcome those biases, you know, to, to potentially hopefully make the right decision? Yeah, I mean, again, a poker player does have a certain luxury here, which is, and by the way, not all poker players. I was going to say we're lone wolves, right? Because a lot of poker players these days, particularly the highest limits, are backed. They have backers. And, and what you want is a backer that 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 thinks long term too. We want to try and map our emotions onto our results. So we do want some pleasure from the upside, right? Because that will motivate us to take good risks and upsides of the reward for that. And we do want some pain for downsides, right? Otherwise, we go around touching hot saucepans all the time. So some emotional uh, uh, response. Um, is 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 a good thing, but we want it to be pro- proportionate. So greed is a disproportionate upside, and fear is a disproportionate downside. So so that's the first thing. But the second thing, the thing that a poker player can do that again we can't always culturally do is just think as long term as possible. I mean, ideally, you you want to be thinking over the infinite time period, right? Um, my my simple um, uh, analogy for that is let's say you're a salesman okay and you've got two piles of leads and one pile of leads the actual value of each sale so the expectation is very low but but you know you've got a very high expectation of someone saying yes and then you've got another pile of leads where the potential uh sale value is huge um but uh it's it's very very hit and miss now if you've got a sales director who's not going to check over you for a quarter then you're going to go to the the high value leads right because you've got a time period there over which to hit some sort of expectation law of large numbers to kick in if you've got a sales director who's who are a boss or who's looking over you at the end of every day then you're going to go for the low value leads right it's, it's as simple as that and i mean i i honestly think that the greatest company that i know on the planet a big company corporation not startup where they inculcate that mindset quite a lot but the one that's maintained it through trillion dollar worth is is google right they just understand from day one that if you cut open google like a stick of rock inside that company you've got hundreds of thousands of decision makers and decisions being made every day and they we want them all to be incentivized to maximize roi not results at the end of every eight hours basically and and that's how we should be motivating and judging people who make any investments either coalface money investments or the more intangible investments of business on a daily basis uh, well you mentioned google there and there's uh, an entity we do need to throw into the mix here and that's ai how do you think that might be changing the game? Because in the past, and again, poker players, and from an investment point of view, you always thought you were, you know, you were betting, not betting, you were trading against humans. I mean, uh, electronic trading systems have been in use in the investment industry for a very, very long time now. But now, throw in AI, how do you think that might change things? Really well, massive, isn't it? In lots of ways, that some 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 are quite easy to see, and about which we might be wrong, and some of which are quite hard to see. It's going to kill online poker ultimately in a way that bots never did, right? Because a couple of things about bots: number one, they have to be programmed, so the algorithms have to be good, okay. Um, and number two, um, uh, number two, like it was okay if you had four bots at a table because in some ways they actually provide a level of ballast like if you've got four or five pros at a table that's not a bad thing because you're all you're all basically uh picking on what you want is three or four tourists right who are donating okay so bots never really cause that much of a problem ai uh, in poker is gonna kill the game i think above a certain level below which it's just not worth 
it's just not worth people's bother, right? There's better ways of, of, of directing AI than low limit poker or mid limit poker. But above a certain limit is gonna kill it because um, after three trillion hands, these blank slate, just machine learned neural network based um, uh, decision makers are gonna make uh, the best possible decisions. They, they are already better than human decision makers. Now, if we apply that to the markets, I mean, look, this is, this is my belief of markets, right? which is all markets tend toward efficiency, but the two caveats to that are um, the period of time in which it takes to get there usually leaves a lag, which might, it might be a couple of minutes or it might be several years of, of um, inefficiency to exploit, okay? And the second thing is, while poker is a zero sum game, in fact, it's a slight negative sum game because the poker site or the, or the uh, casino is taking a small vig of every hand or the tournament take or whatever, Markets in general, I think, um, Benoit Mandelbrot calculates it at about a 6.67% average return. If you're, if you're on mass, you know, all, all the trades made by um, a big company for 10 years. Okay. So, so it might tend toward efficiency, but if the efficient return is 6.67%, then that's, then that's pretty good anyway. Right. But, but AI surely is going to expedite the time frame. That that efficiency has reached, right? From from minutes to microseconds, uh, or from or from years to days, um, because it's just a way of uh, disseminating per perfect information. I mean, the, the promise of AI in the long term is that we all. Her, I think, is a brilliant. It's a film called Her with Yakin Phoenix. It's a brilliant um, model for where I, I, AI will go. And you have an earpiece, and you have a a screen, right? And this thing is the best doctor on the planet, and we all have as much access to it as we want to because it's treating billions of patients at the same time, and it's seen, you know, it's read every single medical journal. Um, and so, you can't, if you're Bill Gates, you can't get a better doctor than this. No, it's not, it's not right there yet and now, but that's the promise of this. It's the best lawyer on the planet. Um, it's the best joke teller on the planet. And therefore, in theory, it will be the best trader on the planet, right? Why? Why wouldn't it be? If 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 that's the access to the perfect information that we all have, I get that there will be a certain time reward for the kind of split microseconds that the black boxes can uh, make. But beyond that, that kind of democratization of knowledge, which started with Google, as you said, um, and but will reach its apotheosis with AI. I don't see where our edge in any market is going to be as a result of that. And it's not just poker and it's not just uh, trading. You know, take my my work. My work is teaching people. And what happened with Google was it was amazing. We all got access to this perfect information. So if you wanted to create a course on risk taking or learning French, you, you had access to the information that, that could create that course. But with AI, it will create the course. Right. So where's the where's the edge that the course creator has in that? Where's the edge that any creator of information has when it's not just access to perfect information, but perfect uh, analysis and synthesis of that information? I, I don't see where that goes and I'll be interested to experience it. Yeah, I suspect we'll find out sooner rather than later on that, yeah. given the speed yeah. with which everything's moving. So just to sum all that up, if you were to give our listeners three tips for the coming year ahead, they're going into their trading in terms of, you know, their biases, how they might want to view things. What what, what are the best three tips you might be able to offer them? Yeah, great. So, I mean, always think about future expectation. You know, don't succumb to um, uh, sunk costs bias. Uh, it's not about how much we've put in. It's about what the expectation is. Um, 
try and think as long term as possible. Again, you'll have cultural constraints to doing that, but um, probably too late in the day now for me to tell a little story. But the little story that I tell, I think illustrates it's a true story about a CEO of, of a company we all know. And the point is that even when you get to be CEO, people still tell you what you should do, you know, and 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 how you should think and all the rest of it. And if you want to have the space to make decisions in your way, you have to fight for that. You're never going to get to a point where, oh, I can just do what I want now. Um, so, so try and fight for the space to think as long-term as possible. And, and then the third thing is something we haven't really mentioned yet, but again, I talk about in presentations, which is which is Tetlock's um, study of that political judgment and the slightly counterintuitive finding that the, the people who are most humble at the point of making their predictions about the future tend to be the most successful. So the people who, re, who regard it as very difficult, uh, respect the size of the task, try and get as much data and information as possible, um, in order to in order to make their decisions, rather than going, yeah, I've been trading for twenty years now, I've got this lip, because the black swans will always surprise us. And and I've got a final little tip I think about the black swans actually, which is that that, that they don't come from extrapolation of, of, of data and lines, um, because everyone watching this will have more data than most people out there, you know, in this slightly just pre AI age. Um, and so I actually believe there's an edge to be had from using our uh, intuition. Um, and, and, and trusting our feelings and sensations um, beyond the data. And I think that actually that explains some of Tetlock's findings that people who were successful couldn't necessarily put their feelings into words. I think that sometimes it's good to, uh, you know, look at the state of geopolitics at any given time and just feel how the future might be. And if that involves a big upturn, um, then, you know, have some faith in that feeling because there's reasons that we have those feelings ultimately. Jasper, some very sage advice. Hopefully our uh, listeners can go and take that away and hopefully look forward to a, a positive new year. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. My pleasure. Thank you. That's very, thanks so much. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, please head to schroders.com forward slash insights. And we're endeavouring to record as many of these shows in the studio on video. If you want to watch them in their full unabridged version, uh, then go to Schroder's YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. And remember, you can listen, subscribe and review the Investor Download wherever you get your podcasts. New shows drop every Thursday at 5pm UK time. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. Investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 